You're listening to Boston Strongcast, a place where we talk all things powerlifting, strength, and the occasional scientific nerd session. I'm your host, Kevin Can, the owner of Precision Powerlifting Systems, strength coach and competitive powerlifter in the USAPL. Thanks for tuning in, and let's get stronger together. Hey guys, this is Kevin Can with Precision Powerlifting Systems. I'm actually filming myself and recording myself all at the same time. Guess I made it. <laughs> I'm joined, as always, by the one and only Jay Birdie of Jay Birdie Fitness. <laughs> um, so one of the things that I wanted to talk about today, so I've criticized periodization a lot in the past, and I stand by those criticisms, I think. When you have this top-down approach to training and this top-down long-term plan to training, you're making a lot of predictions. And as many of you are aware, humans are pretty shitty at predicting things. So the further out you go, so if you're trying to plan a 8, 12, 16 yearly Olympic training cycle, the longer it gets, the less accurate you're going to be in your predictions. Um, we're pretty good at like a week, two weeks out. So typically how I do my programming is I write one week at a time based off of that week. I make those adjustments for the following week and that's how the process goes. Now in my head, I've always, I've always planned out like a longer term with each, with each lifter. So one of the things that I kind of want to come back to is I do have a plan for each lifter. I do have longer term plans for each lifter, but I just don't put them down on paper because I think a lot of times if we do put them down on paper, we're less likely to make those adjustments. So just for an example, um, I was talking to Jess about her program for scheduling reasons she wasn't able to do her day one until yesterday. So she was trying to come up with a solution to get all four days into her training. But if you're doing day one on a Wednesday, when you have Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, there's only five days in the week to try to get four days in, that's not worth it. But because it's on paper, she feels she needs to do it. And I think coaches are the same too. If it's down on paper, they'll try to, they'll have a lifter come to them with that similar issue and they'll try to get them to do all four days. And it's probably not worth it because towards the end of the week, the quality of the sessions are going to be low and then you can create quite a bit of fatigue that can carry over into the next week. I'd rather just get the two to three days in this week and then come back strong next week. So you use that extra day as kind of rest. So the training plan needs to be flexible and adaptable and you need to understand that what you write down on paper is not necessarily what you have to do. You need to be flexible and adaptable to the individual and the differing needs of the individual based on each day. Um, ironically enough, so with the whole COVID thing going on, the most state governments are rolling back restrictions in phases. And this, I'm literally, I, I think of powerlifting and I try to compare it, like use the perspective coming from powerlifting and all these different like complex situations. So when you have something like a pandemic going on and rolling back restrictions and they were talking about phases, it kind of gave me this idea that, you know, I do this naturally in my head and I probably should have more organization within the programs themselves to lay it out. One of the, so now that I've moved, another issue too. So now that I've moved all of my coaching to an online forum, I have lifters that are texting me videos, asking me questions, and I feel that they always need my feedback. Like it's, when I'm in person and I'm watching, I didn't feel it was the same way. So I don't wanna get stuck in this habit of just giving them like technically what's wrong with every set that they do because I don't think that's, 
um, necessarily the best way to go about coaching. So I think it's always important to have the goals and the directives of current training communicated, identified, and the focus of me writing the program and them executing the program while being flexible and adaptable on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. I think that's really important. I think another thing that we have to look at is periodization works, right? Like, I'll criticize it and I'll criticize the long-term planning, the top-down approach, the predictive abilities of coaches. I think all of that is, is true. I don't, I don't think periodization, especially in a strength sport, I think it's more necessary for field sport athletes who also go into the gym and lift weights. But when you're just lifting weights, I don't think it's necessary. I think you can always just have this program that's flexible and adaptable, that's analyzing strengths and weaknesses, attacking weaknesses, having enough stimulus to force adaptation, and enough lighter days to allow for recovery and practice of technique. I think you can do that, and you could probably do that for your entire life, and it'll be okay. One of the things that I've been doing recently, so I've taken nothing but singles for almost a year. So there's maybe a handful of days that I actually did reps in training. I like doing singles, I do. So I only kind of want to do them. It's, it's fun, it's enjoyable, and if you're gonna tell me that I'm not gonna get better by training hard and I'm burying my exercises, working on my weaknesses, and, and my training's gotten better over time. Um, but what I'm going to start doing is I don't want to just throw out the baby with the bathwater for an overused analogy. Like periodization, planning training has a place. There's a reason why so many people swear by it. Um, and again, I want to reemphasize that it's not like I don't have long-term plans. I do. They're just typically in my head. And I kind of just adjust that long-term plan based off of how each individual is responding. Now we do get into a situation where some of the lifters who have bigger totals or who have been lifting longer, they're not gonna be able to peak multiple times a year. You might get one to two good peaks a year. And I think you do need to keep this in mind, especially the longer that it goes uh, into somebody's lifting career. The bigger their total is, the more elite that they are. Um, because at that point, you're just fighting for scraps. You're trying to get a few extra pounds on that total e each time out. And that can be a more difficult task. When you have a bunch of beginners all the time who get those beginner gains, and I'm saying anybody's a beginner with three years or less experience, I don't give a fuck what you're doing in the first three years, you're gonna continue to get better. It's after you get to a certain point, whether it's the amount of weight lifted or time in the sport, um, that you're gonna start to see some of those things uh, catch up to you a little bit. So I wanna make sure that I'm setting everybody up for long-term success. Uh, and I do think long-term planning is important. Now I'll still write plans one time per week, but still doing the max effort stuff. And I think, you know, and I'm gonna discuss some of the new, we'll call them data points that I'm gonna start tracking just to see if there's anything there. And I'm gonna use myself as an example and a couple of the lifters that actually sent me some of their information um, on their sheets, because it's something I never thought of looking at before. But I tend to have the best success with lifters when I start really small, right? We start with weights that tend to be lighter, for the first wave. The second wave, we kind of build upon that. The third wave, we build upon that. And then eventually, they're hitting all-time PRs on variations. Um, I'm going to use Alyssa for an example for two different things. So we did a ton of box squats with Alyssa. And we started them. The box squats started light in her later day. Then we kind of worked it into max effort, and we changed 
bar position, we used accommodating resistance, we changed foot position, but we ran the box squat as if it were her comp squat. She ended up hitting 358 pounds on a box squat. The next wave, we gave her high bar wide stance, so a lot more similar to her um, competition squat, she was able to hit that 358, which 336 was her, was her meat best that was achieved February of this year. So in a short amount of time, you know, and you're talking five months, we've been able to add about 15 pounds to her squat just by doing that. Her best deadlift in a competition was also accomplished in February is 391 pounds. After that competition, I treated her deadlift as if a deficit was normal. So as if that deficit, that two inch deficit was the competition lift. So we changed, we did sumo, we did conventional, um, I don't think she had accommodating resistance because it wasn't in her setup, but she might have before quarantine had happened. But we ran a two inch deficit deadlift as if that were her comp lift and we ran it for a long period of time and just build it up. And she ended up hitting her first 400 pound deadlift. So she had pulled 402. And then a few weeks later, she pulled 408 from a deficit. So I'm pretty confident if we take that deficit away, she's at least getting 408 pounds, but probably more. She's probably getting about 10 pounds more. So her deadlift went from 391 to potentially around like the 420 mark, uh, just by treating that one lift, keeping it in there for a prolonged period of time and treating it as if it were the comp lift. And I don't think we can forget about what, like a lot of the coaches who've done this for a long time, like Boris Shako used prep cycles and comp cycles. Uh, Louis Simmons definitely, like I, I was watching a video of his, I mean this was probably a few months ago now where he was talking about his dynamic effort waves and he had listed out nine or 12 weeks or something and showing how, you know, three weeks and then goes back to the start but with a change, right? So it teeters up for, uh, teeters up for two weeks, down for one, up for two, down for one, changing accommodating resistance weight, whatever it was. But there was progress happening, some type of, um, progress happening over the course of the nine to 12 weeks that he was showing. So there are phases that he uses as well. There's, there's a longer term plan to it. Um, so I do think it's important so that we don't get lost. We don't lose the signal within the noise if there's so much of it happening. If we're, I think, you know, before when we were running linear programs. So one of the things that was really important was I had everybody come into the gym, one to two hard sets every single day they trained. RPE nine, nine and a half. And we took deloads when we needed to take deloads during this period of time. Um, but it taught me a lot, a lot about intensity and volume and how long you can push and when that stuff starts to, you know, you know, kind of beat you up, not even just physically, but also mentally. So finding like a nice balance between intensity and volume and all of those things, I think is extremely important. Now we've found a way to, so we have max effort squats, bench, and deadlifts that we do in the same week. The deadlifts just rotate every other week. But one of the interesting things is when I was thinking more about like the metrics that I want to track. So one of the things, actually to back up a little bit, so I'm literally going through my thought process of how I want to lay this out. I haven't even laid it out yet, and this is like me putting it out for the first time. So I'm going to ramble a lot. I'm probably going to jump around a lot because that's kind of how it is right now, like in my head. Um, so when we were running like the linear program, doing the hard sets all of the time and stuff, one of the things that I ended up falling victim to is I allowed those day-to-day -day changes to influence all of my decision-making. So 
if somebody came in feeling like shit, I would just make the decision to change it then. If somebody came in feeling good, I'd make the decision to change it then. And all of a sudden, those day-to-day -day fluctuations started driving the actual programming, which is not what we want. We still want those general principles to guide programming with day-to-day -day adjustments that need to be made. So don't get me wrong, there are times when a lifter will come in and they're like, I feel like shit. It's like, hey, let's warm up, let's see what we can get up to, and let's make a decision. So yeah, we still make those adjustments, but we allow those principles to, to kind of guide us within those adjustments. Now, I've gotten much better at managing that and not allowing those day-to-day -day fluctuations to actually influence my overall decision-making so much. Um, I think I have a better grasp on that there, but one of the things that... I do do is I kind of view each lift as its own entity, right? So I analyze the squat, I analyze the bench press, I analyze the deadlift. Now the thing that I, I haven't done yet is I haven't sat there and analyzed the total in a week, right? Because at the end of the day, we're doing this sport for a bigger total. That's, that's what the point of this is. So I started thinking to myself, I was like, one, who gives a fuck if your squat goes down 20 pounds, but your bench goes up 10 and your deadlift goes up 20? Because your total is going up 10 pounds in that, in that case, right? You're giving up 20 on your squat for 30 on the other two. That's progress. That's progress in this sport. The sport is about who totals the most. Not who squats the most, then who benches the most, then who deadlifts the most. It's at the end of the day, who has the biggest total? So I started to think to myself, I have all of this data on me taking singles primarily for almost a year. Um, I gotta get it out here. So, I, uh, I decided to go back. I only went back eight weeks and did this. And there, before that, I was basically quarantined, had happened, so my training was inconsistent. It was only two days a week, so I didn't really like fill in the gaps beyond this point. Um, this training was done raw, bottoms on. There were full weeks of equipment, some weeks of raw and equipment. There were full weeks raw. Like there was really no rhyme or reason behind me doing things other than this is what I felt like doing today. These are my weaknesses. This is what I felt like doing today. Um, and what was interesting is I decided to add up what my totals would be. So my top single of my squat, my bench, and my deadlift for each week. And these are how the eight weeks went. Uh, week one, my total, 1265. Week two, 1295. Week three, 1315. Week four, 1345. Week five, 1362, but there was 150 pounds of band tension. I'm not sure what I want to do with the band tension yet, so I'm just kind of adding it in like that. Um, week six, 1297, but there was 250 pounds of band tension. Uh, week seven, 1437. And then week eight, 1345. So what's interesting about this is it didn't matter whether, so typically I'll use one or two variations within the lift. So it might be stance, a bar position, accommodating resistance, a pin squat, a box squat, like something like that. Like it's not, the variations aren't super crazy. It might be a specialty bar with bands or something and to a box, like that's about as far as it gets. Um, and we don't use crazy band tension. So the most I've used for band tension on the squat uh, was about 140. Uh, on the deadlift, on the bench it was 100, but I was in the shirt. 
and on the deadlift, it was about 80. So it's not a ton of band tension that I'm using here, um, just because I think the strength curve of raw and single ply is very different than multiply, so I've manipulated that band tension a little bit to fit our needs. But what's interesting is you can see a trend of the totals, is they tend to kind of be very similar, and it didn't matter whether I was lifting raw and equipment, what variations I was using, the first four weeks, we have 1265, 1295, 1315, 1345, right? So we have nice linear progress there in those four weeks. And what's interesting about that is that was probably when I got, I'd have to go back and actually look and this thought just like popped into my head. But th those four weeks is probably when I started training more consistently again. Um, the next four went 1362 with 150 of band. Week two, it's the exact, basically the exact same total I had week two of that first four week block, but with 250 pounds of band tension on top of it. And then the week three was huge. I hit a 1437 total in the gym. And my, my best is like 1452 in a competition. So I'm basically taking almost my best total that week. And then the following week back down to 1345. And what I found, what was interesting, is when I went back and I looked at my notes. So obviously the 1437 happened recently. That was a really good week. The following week, my performance was not the same. Like I had a tough squat that week. I missed a bench that I shouldn't be missing. Um, I mean, I, I missed a bench that was under my comp best from January and it's not a number I've, I think I've ever missed before, to be honest. Um, but then I had a huge pull. I ended up pulling 595. Um, to end the week, but what's interesting is is like in your head you start thinking you're like man That was kind of a kind of a tough week and I ended up totaling 1345 which is kind of like the new baseline that I have in this in this last four weeks like it was lower 1300s the first four weeks and now it's closer to the mid 1300s So what's interesting is is like I'm seeing the progress in my when I'm adding my three lifts together there's trends and there's also progress being shown there. So I do think it's something that I want to keep uh, that I want to keep track of what you know what's interesting though too is like by how those numbers feel. So I think what was interesting about like when I hit that 1437, the week before that I hit 1297 with just a lot of band tension, right? So I feel that the bands prepare me very well for those heavier weights, but they don't beat me up the same way as if I have heavier weights like in the hole of the squat, at the bottom of the bench, like things like that, right? So I had enough band tension on there that it didn't beat me up and I was kind of able to, you know, if you take that 250, you know, it's about 15, almost 1550 at the top with all the accommodating resistance, right? But it's only 1297 of actual bar weight for my total. It allowed me to recover, I think, crush a huge week and then that huge week had a recovery cost leading into the leading into the following week and that last week so that 1345 that was last week that was a pretty average week for me if you look at my my numbers they tend to be around there somewhere right it's not something that tends to beat me up it's kind of like a medium average week uh, i came in this week i had a much better day one squat uh day on my day two i hit that bench that i missed two weeks ago or three weeks ago, whenever that was. Um, so surprisingly, training is starting to pick back up, right? So my subtotal for the week is like 800. Now for me to get into that like 550 is something I 
typically. I mean, I hit 595 on the deadlift last week from the floor. I'll probably do something with accommodating resistance. So it might bring my three lift total down a little bit, like maybe to that low to mid 1300 range. If I do minis, I should be able to get around 550 plus uh, from the floor or in that ballpark, maybe 525 to 550. So, and this is just a guess, right? And anything can happen. So if that happens tomorrow, you're talking 1325 to 1350 plus maybe the 80 pounds of band tension I'm gonna use. So that's interesting to me, like seeing these trends and how the training's going. So it really got me thinking, like I probably should start to organize training, right? Because like I was saying before, all the great coaches organize training in some ways. Um, but one of the things that I really needed to do is if I'm gonna do that, I wanna have clearly stated goals because I think it's important for, I mean, I have these goals in my head when I'm writing the programs and I do communicate that with the lifters, but I think it's really important for me to communicate it better, right? To have that focus for a period of time where I don't have to continually repeat myself. And then at the end of each block, there should be some type of block review, right? What's interesting is like when I was setting this up, I was thinking, so I know Mike to share from what it sounds like, from what he talks about on like his podcast and the internet that I've heard is he'll run a variation until it stops working. And then when it stops working, he has what he calls a pivot block, whichever you remember, right? It's like 50% of the time. So if this was four weeks stopped working, there'd be a two week pivot. And I think they do a lot of like just different stuff, right? And then they go into the next block. So even somebody like that, right? There's some type of like long-term training plan. I think that's being created anyways, right? So one of the things in this, you know, and thinking about the restrictions, I'm like, man, that's kind of what I do, you know, with the rolling back the restrictions for the COVID stuff. I'm like, man, that's kind of what I do as a coach is like there's phases and I, maybe I should organize training this way a little bit more. Um, one of the things that I liked is I made my training extremely minimal, right? Just all I cared about, estimated one rep max on those lifts, right? And by estimated one rep max, I'm not even estimating it. It's, I have a list of their PRs. So all the variations that we do in their max effort numbers, their best numbers, and I can compare those numbers to when they do that variation again. So I can see if performance at those angles is increasing, decreasing, staying the same. I can also compare angles, right? So a wide stance squat to a close stance squat, and what's the difference? And you know, there are trends that kind of form amongst lifters, but it's very individualized. And a lot of that is just like experience and figuring out where to put, where to put stuff in. You know, different grips on bench press. Like I like to analyze their performance of the sport based off of the angles um, and the numbers that we hit in those in those positions. So, you know, what I was talking about with the list is we started small with the box squats, built it up, big PR. Uh, deficits started small, built it up, big PR. And I've done this with a lot of my other lifters too. And on the day three, day four, I've been doing this a lot with the bench. So Jess Ward benched 181 at the Arnold and I think she hit 181 also at Nationals. So her bench has kind of been stuck at like a similar number. So we really worked on some technique things and we started like just really hammering the bench. But on her day three, we built it up slowly. So we started with like a five by five at like 65%. But then over time, we just continued to build it up. And today she took 85% for a four by four. So being able to do that, so it might even be more. She took one, her best is now 185. She's hit that a couple times in training. So we've added five pounds to her bench press, four pounds to her bench press. Um, and she's hitting it more consistently. But today she took 165 for a four by four. And this is on her second bench day. She had benched heavy the day before. 
Um, and she had 160 medium grip with chains. She had hit for a max effort, 40 pounds of chain. So at the top, it's pretty close to 200 pounds that she hit, um, being able to lock it out. So we've slowly built up that other day and you start seeing good progress. I've seen this with the squats too, where we kind of start light and just slowly build it up and eventually people are doing five by fives with 80% and it's a breeze. But there's a, there's a patience to it and there's a, there is a science to it and knowing when to kind of pull back, throw in some pauses, cut the volume, do those things and then, you know, pull it back. And I think we don't want to lose those aspects of training. But I do kind of, we have a nice, we lay out a week, we have a nice, adjustment day to day that I do throughout the week based off of the previous week and the communication I have with the lifters, but we should have a larger plan as well for this. And it's starting to build itself out. These heuristics are, are starting to build themselves out based off of what I'm seeing in training and what I think we need in training. So the way that these phases are gonna work is like each wave will kind of be its own phase. So I run three week waves because when we were running the linear stuff, I had realized that progress tends to happen with one exercise for four to six weeks, right? So if I do it for three weeks, I haven't really maxed out the progress in that one exercise. So I can come back to it sooner than later to see if we're getting better at it. So let's say a lifter does a high bar wide stance squat and it's 10% less than their competition squat. I run three weeks like that. Then we do high bar wide stance pin squats. And then we do high bar wide stance pin squats with bands. And then I wanna bring in that high bar wide stance squat again to see if we're closing the gap between that and our comp squat. So now they come back to that competition style like high bar wide stance is literally just the bar position, the stance and the, the weight on the bar, the straight weight. And they hit a PR on that. Okay, that's showing me that we're, we're improving. And then it's on to the next thing, right? Cause you know, you find that next weakness and you kind of do the same thing. And, this tends to work really well, and it works really well when I keep it in for that like nine to 12 week period of time. Uh, and like I said before, I think we can probably only really peak one to two times a year once we're really embedded into the sport. And I think this can just be a nice strategy to make sure we're peaking at the right times. So each phase will be a wave. Now, for the equipped lifters, I might alternate each week between raw and equipment. Right, so in that case, there might be a fourth week here. And maybe I decide to run it a little bit longer because somebody's a little bit banged up, so we're taking a little bit easier. We're repeating things more often. So this could probably be anywhere from three weeks to four to six, okay, for each phase. And at the beginning of the phase, I'm gonna clearly state the goals of the phase, and then at the end, we're gonna review it. So when I was thinking about like how to do a review of the block, like I really only care about their performance. Like I like knowing the different variations, and I'm gonna bring the context into this data, right? All I need is data that helps me to make better decisions. It doesn't have to be something that's like an Excel spreadsheet formula, right? So even though I'm gonna use these numbers of their three lifts added together to, to view progress, there's gonna be times where the numbers might be less because they're really weak in a position or really struggling with something and or I'm gonna give them a, a variation a series of variations that are just very difficult, right? But it's just one thing for me, I can put the context to it because I can see all of that because I'm a part of their training. So maybe the goals of phase one is just gonna be technique. So each, each phase it might be like, hey, your wide stance squats tend to be much weaker than your closer stance squats. So we're really gonna target that, that wider position. 
that wider foot position. And we're gonna start with something just a groove technique, right? So in the beginning, what this might be is, you know, with a wide stance squat, when we get low bar, we really wanna sit back, right? And a lot of lifters, they'll be here, and I think they wanna keep their chest so tall that they end up doing this first to initiate the squat. I personally don't teach the squat that way. I don't think it's the strongest position to be teaching a squat, especially if you're a low bar squatter. Um, I think it's always best to load the hamstrings and the hips. It just, it, it, it has better control, bigger muscles, more power and there's reasons why you know people figured out that squatting that way tended to allow them to lift the most weights so that first one just might be something like you know box squats with with bands right just learning how to be aggressive so on the box it deloads a lot of that weight it allows them to kind of focus on sitting back pushing the knees out leading with the chest like doing all of those things so it can be a nice thing to groove um, positions so then phase two, we would wanna build off of that technical aspect, right? So now we wanna start challenging the technique with a little bit more weight. And that would literally be the goal of phase two. So we're gonna change that strength curve. So if we're using accommodating resistance, it's heavier at the top. I could come here, we're gonna keep the box squat, but we're gonna take the bands off and we're gonna do some straight weight box squats, right? And I might give them even a high bar straight weight box squat so they really have to focus on keeping their chest up, right? Because um, the high bar will force them to, to figure that out a lot, um, a lot better. So let's say we do a high bar wide stance box squat here. So now in the hole, they're getting much more weight. So now we're challenging those hips at the bottom position of the squat. And then what I can do is, so sometimes putting the bar lower on the back for a box squat changes the movement quite a bit. So I probably wouldn't do that. Um, so box squat, wide stance, bands. Box squat, high bar, no bands. I probably here go low bar wide stance squat. So phase three, the goal will be more specific and we're basically testing how well the last, your technique in these positions and your strength in these positions. So each phase can build off of each other. And it doesn't have to be like, there could be phase 1A, phase 1B. So maybe we start with a safety squat bar with bands to a box first. Then we go to a straight bar with bands, right? Or we could even go safety squat bar, then high bar, because it's, it's similar, but it's getting close to, closer to the competition lift. So safety squat bar, high bar, low bar, right? So you can even like use the bar position to get more specific, but like each phase can have specific goals. And then what I'll do is, and obviously this is gonna require some data collection on me, by me, is I'm gonna take their singles, right? Top singles, and we're gonna measure their totals. And over time, I wanna see the totals going up. They should, because obviously the variations are going to be changing, right? But at the end of the day, this last total here, let's say we're testing some type of closer to comp lift variations, should be, hopefully we're hitting PRs over those comp lifts, right? That we've hit before. Like small ones, just five pounds at a time. Um, there, you know, and there may be, we use a safety squat bar with chains first, right? That's phase 1A. And then we, instead of the chains, because bands are a little bit more difficult than chains, I think, on the squat. So then phase 1B, maybe we use bands. And then maybe we have phase 2, 1A, where we use a safety squat bar, no accommodating resistance. 2B, where we use a high bar position with a straight bar, straight weight, 2B. 
and then we get into that. So like it can, if lifters are having a harder time learning something or building upon something based off of their individual needs, it gives us options, right? But it's allowing us to have a plan where each block is kind of building off of the last block. And then once we hit those PRs, we kind of reset and bring it back. I think it's a nice way that we can adjust training. Um, the training schedule a little bit to help focus. Cause I think lifters in a lot of cases, they focus so heavily on those outcomes and they start chasing numbers, right? So I'll have lifters that, you know, the squat will seem down a little bit performance wise. And they just, you know, they hit something that should be their last single of the day, but then they'll try to add weight. Cause it's like, oh man, I just got to get back to what I was lifting before. And these things fluctuate. And I think one of the, benefits of a more periodized program of when they when a coach uses a more periodized program is it takes the focus off of that you just at times like the weights are so light and it's non-specific and all of that stuff that you're just not even thinking about the outcomes now me personally i want them to not think about the outcomes but get training that's going to be more beneficial to their long-term development within the sport and i think the only benefit to doing something like that is just it's different um, but i like i don't see how sets of six eight or ten are beneficial to a power lifter so i want to keep those singles in and eventually what i think i'm going to be able to do is based off of the absolute loads lifted in the weight in the week i can adjust the single so if i need somebody to not you know we'll one of the things as a coach, you'll put like RP9 for a single so that somebody doesn't ball out and they kind of can recover from it a little bit. They'll still go to a 10 sometimes, right? So I can adjust, I think, based off of the totals. So I'm just gonna write these down. So these were my totals here. So we had 1265, 1295, 13, 15, 13, 45. So we're gonna pretend this is a four week a four week wave. Okay, and you can see there's linear progress here, right? Um, you know, it's going up 30 pounds, 20 pounds, 30 pounds. So it's actually pretty, uh, pretty simple for all of that. Um, it's almost the same, which is actually kind of cool. So then the following week, I had a bigger week, right? We hit 1362, and then I had the 250 of band in there, okay? And then the following week, I had 1297 with just, oh no, this was 150 band. 250 was with the 1297 that, that week. And then I had the big week, average week. Okay, so let's say I have a lifter. They're starting out, right? we get a baseline, right? So week one, phase one, 1265 is their total. They had, let's say all, th all three lifts were a 10, right? I could literally, so normally what we do in that case is the following week we do 80% for like four doubles and then they do their typical lighter back downs. What I could do in that case though, is based off of the numbers that they hit, I could just say, hey, let's come in and let's hit a 1200 total, right? So, you know, it's 65 pounds less total weight lifted in that week, right? Like 1265 to 1200. They're still getting heavy singles in, so they're still getting practice under those heavier weights. And then the back downs, I could still do the 80% for a four by two after that. 
I could push a triple or a, you know, anywhere from sets of three to five, I could push something like that. I could do it for sets and reps at a lighter weight. I have options to go to after, but this will allow us to keep heavier singles, right? More sports specific work in the program. And then I can come back in the next week, 13, 15, 13, 45. And then if I'm tired again, you know, we can drop that. And these trends will start to form themselves over time and we can start to control uh, some of those, some of those variables. I think one of the other things is, let's say a lifter comes in, let's say their average is like 1300 pounds for the weeks, okay? Let's say they, they come in 1300, you know what, just for simple math, I'm gonna say 1350. I'm trying to do some numbers in my head. So let's say 450 is their best squat or something, okay? They come in and they only get 405 on a squat. And let's say 350 is their best bench, but they only got 275 on a bench. Tough variation for them. Uh, they missed a few reps. Maybe the shoulders bother them. So I'm making some stuff up, right? So, and this is just for an example. You usually don't see numbers this low. Um, based off of their, if you're doing something close to a comp, like even if there's one or two variations. So in this case here, we got a 680 subtotal, right? So 1350 is where we can go. And let's say their best deadlift typically. So if it's 450 and 350, that's 800. Uh, so 550 is their best deadlift. Yeah. Okay, so 550 is their best deadlift. What we could do here, because they have such a low subtotal, maybe we let them overload the deadlift a little bit, okay? So maybe we do a below the knee rack pull and they get 600 here, right? So we have well below one RM, well below one RM overload. And that would bring our total, you know, plus 600 there to that 1280, right? So that gets us close to that 1300 pound average. So it allows us to make sure that we're probably still loading the lifter substantially, but it's also allowing us to kind of pick up performance on a day where, you know, for me personally, if I lift less weight on a squat, my bench tends to go better. If like uh, 595 is five pounds over my best comp pull, and it was only 20 pounds under my best ever pull, I had a tough squat day and a tough bench day that week. So the fact that I really wasn't able to push it on those days, I had enough energy where I was able to get a really good deadlift in and it brought my weekly total up to my average. So you can mess with the lifts and you can change things up in a way that just allows you to make some decisions to overload the movements um, and make sure the lifter is getting enough total work. I've always been, now this may be absolute fucking bullshit. This may not work at all, but this just is, allows me to look at weekly performance too. I may decide that I don't give a shit about overloading the deadlift here. Just do what's on the paper. And we'll, you know, with that lighter load, hopefully we come in the following week and we're able to reset and get something big. Um, so it's going to depend, but coaches have always held on like total tonnage tends to be something that a lot of coaches hold on to. I don't give a fuck about total tonnage. Like, I think that's a completely arbitrary number that doesn't tell us anything. Now I care about the number of lifts because I think 
practice requires so many repetitions, and we need so many repetitions to be able to, to get better technically. So I do think number of lifts matters. Um, your technique at lifting 50% is not really going to carry over to a third attempt at a, at a meet. So I do think the weight on the bar matters. So average intensity, I, I think, matters. I think that's really important. So I tend to use anywhere from 60 to 70% as back downs, but it's after a heavy single. And if you've, never, if you've never maxed out a single on a variation and then had to put 60% of that weight on there to hit for sets of you know, three to five, it's really hard. So it still really challenges you. You're mentally and physically tired at that point. So I'm using fatigue to take those lighter weights to make them a little bit more intense. Um, but this tracking this weekly progress will help give me some options to be to one give somebody some momentum some confidence make sure they're having fun uh, there's just like a number of things that we can do with this so I'm gonna start messing around with this with uh, quite a few of the members of PPS and I'm gonna start doing it myself and starting to keep track of some of these metrics and really phase it out this way so that like we can work on one thing and like like I said like maybe it's 1a Phase 1A, I'm going to do something with bands pulling me forward, then straight up and down. Then we're going to take the bands away. Like we, The options are limitless, and the weeks are going to run just like how they've run now. Like We're going to make those day-to-day -day adjustments based off of how we have to. If somebody hits a true 10, I'm probably going to do, maybe we take 90% to start just to get some data on it the following week for one single, and then we'll do what we've been doing after that. I think... The more singles that we can do, I think the better off we'll be. And I think where people have run into the problems of how to use singles is managing the fatigue that accumulates from using heavy singles. So it's learning to handle the psychological as well as the physical stress that comes with lifting that heavy on a day-to-day -day basis. So I think also like the graded exposure to the absolute loads, I think can definitely help with that. I think there's a number of things that we can do to allow us to get more singles into training, which at the end of the day is gonna yield greater progress for all of the lifters. Um, this is just like my thoughts down on paper, on like not even, like just getting them out. So I apologize for any rambling or lack of sense that I'm making with this. Um, but it makes sense in my head and as it, as it starts working itself out, I'll start doing more and more videos uh, kind of explaining what I'm seeing, the training process, the decisions. I'll use specific examples and stuff like that. Um, you can follow along with this, KWCAN, on Instagram. You can follow the team, Precision Powerlifting Systems. Um, I'm going to use my sign-off for the podcast because I'm also recording myself. So stay strong, Boston.